Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it. We, had, we were here, uh, I was here on Sunday, the second service, we had a great time. Wow, what a powerful, impacting time in the Word and the Spirit we enjoyed on Sunday. Wasn't it beautiful? Yeah, Just a beautiful time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a whole different uh, mentality of using rocks. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's, the, it's the best way to do it. Yeah. Instead of throwing stones at other people, Let's uh, lay him before the altar of God, amen, and see God do wonderful things. Uh, there's no way in this time that I have tonight to communicate everything. Uh, uh, we don't have 24 hours to communicate everything that I would like to communicate. So we have a, 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 a table back there that is filled with CD series. I don't think there's any uh, DVDs left. There is one book left that I'll bring up in just a moment. But this series talks about your identity determines your authority. We only have one identity, even though we can identify with numerous things. We can identify with our experiences. We can identify through relationships. We can identify through activities, but we only have one identity. And our identity dictates and determines our authority. I've talked about this before, but I'll just briefly get into it. Our dad was a professional rodeo cowboy. He was, he was a champion. He was, he's in the Cowboy Hall of Fame, in the, the Texas Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame in the stockyards in Fort Worth. It's for all Texas cowboys and, and all kind. I could mention a lot of other names that are also in that, in that uh, Hall of Fame, but he's in the Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame and the professional one in Colorado Springs and the National Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma City. He was even on the board of that Cowboy Hall of fame. He was raised as a cowboy on a ranch in the Texas Panhandle where uh, there's still a George Ranch operating since the, er- the late 1800s and, and uh, has been a member of the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association since the 1800s. Uh, my great-great-grandfather was one of the original Texas Rangers, not baseball player, but a, a, a lawman. So, you know, we, we come from a, 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 a lineage of cowboys. So my brother and I, we relate to cowboys. If you ever saw Gospel Bill, that, that, the video Gospel Bill, then, then, you know, my brother played a cowboy, a sheriff named uh, Bill Gunter. Well, the first sheriff of Wheeler County, Texas, up in the panel, his name was William Gunter. So we, we relate to cowboys and sheriffs and those kinds of things. Uh, either, although neither of us are cowboys, we, we know how to ride horses. We, we uh, branded calves when we were boys and, and, and went on cattle drives. We rode horses in the, in the July 4th, uh, uh, all, all the parades in our city. But then our parents divorced and it kind of changed our whole, our whole future. But I, I still want to, point something out, we identify with cowboys, but we're not cowboys. Now, if we were cowboys, we would be great cowboys. We would have great authority as cowboys because real cowboys have great authority over cows. Duh. Now, I I know a real cowboy versus those who just found a hat. 
Just because you got boots, a hat, and a pick-em-up truck doesn't make you a cowboy. Just because you got a steer out in the backyard grazing doesn't make you a cowboy. Come on, just because you watch rodeo on television doesn't make you a cowboy. Just because you go to rodeos doesn't make you a cowboy. Do you understand? So, so uh, you know, and I, I, I played high school football at the, at the school that, that they wrote the book and the movie Friday Night Lights about, Odessa Permian. And, and, and uh, I, I connect with football and those kinds of things. Played, played the uh, University of Houston football, those kinds of things. I relate to football, but, and I identify with it, still do. But I don't want my authority to be in football. I don't want my authority to be in cattle. I want my authority to be supernatural. And that only comes from having my identity instead of in a cowboy or a football or a sport, I have my identity in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what this series is about. Somebody over here like to have this? Way, way back over there, lady, stand up. There there she is, can you help me? Can you get that to that lady? I would throw it, but that's, I don't wanna hurt anybody. And then this is kind of a, a, a sister series that's, that's not the same, but it's related, called Kingdom Authority. How many know we're in a kingdom? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And it's, the king, it's not the kingdom of Texas. <laughs> it's not the kingdom of the USA. It's not even the kingdom of planet Earth. It's the kingdom of God. True. That's good. And that's even greater than the kingdom of heaven. Amen. It's the kingdom of God. Well, we have a king. You can't have a kingdom unless you have a king because the word kingdom means domain of kings. And we have a king whose name is? Was he elected? Was he appointed by popularity? No, God established him as the king and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So if you want to have kingdom authority, you got to be submitted to the king. Amen. Because he has authority in all realms. All realms. So it's important that we're submitted properly to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. How do I do that? How do I walk in my authority? What, how does my authority described in the Word of God, et cetera, et cetera? That's what this is about. Somebody will here like to have this. I'm just gonna throw it out there and somebody got to catch it. Good catch. Then if you can't get anything else out there, this is a $3 book. It's over 45 pages. 45 pages of confessions for raising winning kids. Every parent, grandparent needs to have one of these. Grandparent, you, you get one for yourself and then get one for your children that can speak the word of God over their children. And this will really, really help you, help your children. Uh, all scriptural based. There's some teaching in the beginning of it and then the scriptures and then the confessions based upon those scriptures in the word of God. Amen. Amen. I hope you brought your Bible tonight. Say this with me. I honor the word of God. It's the lamp to my feet, the light to my path. I receive the word with gladness from the Holy, Holy Spirit who is the true teacher who leads me into all truth. This word will not return unto God void but shall accomplish the thing where it would to, where to it was sent. Point to yourself and say, not only in my life, Point your neighbor and say, in your life too, Doc. Turn in your Bible to wherever you're led and we'll see if you heard from the same Holy Spirit I heard from. 
Now, before you turn, we're going to start with Proverbs 29. But I, I was reading the other day about this new department store. You know, department stores are struggling right now. Many of them, malls are closing, different things, and, um, you know, people are shopping online and different things. But, but this particular store was intriguing because it was a store for single Christian women. And this is why it was intriguing. It's a unique store, and, and I know it's going to sweep across the country because it's so necessary. It's a store to find a suitable Christian man as a mate. Amen. There's a lady back there that said, bring it, and pointed to herself right back there. She wants to know where this store is. But there's two rules, only two rules to, to enter into this store. Number one, you have, you have to prove that you're a single Christian woman looking for a single Christian man. Number two, here's the second rule, very important rule. There are six floors in this department store. And if you leave one floor and go to the next one, you cannot return back to the previous floor. So that's the second rule, very important rule. So the first floor is filled with single Christian men that love God. That's a good thing. You know, this is unlike any other store. The second, the second story is filled with single Christian men that love God and they're good looking. Well, that's a plus. But we don't stop there. The third floor is filled with single Christian men that are good looking and they have a job. That's extremely important. They no longer live with mama. That's very important. Floor number four is filled with single Christian men that are good looking They have a job and they like kids. Wow, that's cool. Floor number five is filled with single Christian men that have a good job, they're good looking, they love kids, and this is miraculous, they do housework. Ladies, you don't have to follow them around, pick up after them. And if that's not good enough, you can go up to floor number six. Floor number six just proves you can never please a woman. So, we'll go on. Now, I'm pretty tough on the guys. I just thought I'd uh, kind of add that for the ladies. Amen. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. This message is one of the most important messages, I believe, for all Christians. That's typically who comes to church on Wednesday night, Christians. Amen. So how many of you are Christians? Lift your hand high. You, you love the Lord God. You've professed Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, why is this so important? Well, we sang some wonderful choruses tonight. 
This church sings great choruses. We sang some beautiful choruses on Sunday. But why don't all Christians have what we sing in those choruses? Why don't we all have abundant life? Why don't we all have victory? Why, don't, why aren't we all healed? Why aren't we all walking in peace? These are, these are choruses that we sing about, and we sing these words all the time, scriptural choruses. Why don't we live in the abundant life? Why don't we live in the, in the life, the abundant life that Jesus said that we can have in John 10, 10? I'm coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Why don't all Christians live the abundant life? Because clearly they don't. Don't look around, but clearly they don't. There was one time I didn't. So how can we assure that we walk in victory? How can we assure ourselves that we can no longer be bound by chains? It's not God's will that we're chained. It's not God's will that we're bound. It's God's will that we're free. It's God's will that we're so free that we can help others get free. Because if we're bound, how are we going to be a Christian and help other, other people? How are we going to help those that are bound if we're bound? Come on, this is easy math. This is not hard. No trick questions here. So how do we do that? Well, this verse is very, very familiar to most Christians. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. We'll read... The rest of that verse, it says, verse 18, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. In the, in the Spanish translation, one of the tra Spanish translations translated back to English, it says there is no progressive vision. The people are like wild, untamed horses. Now, what, what's a wild, untamed horse good for? Two things, Elmer's glue and Alpo dog food. That's it. That's what you do with wild, untamed horses. I don't know if you've ever been out in the West or not, but I grew up in, a, in, in the Texas Panhandle where there was a lot of open range at the time. Not everybody had fences yet. There was were, there were still a lot of uh, Bureau of Land, or BLM, Bureau of Land Management, open range and different things. There are a lot of wild horses. There, there's still a lot of wild horses in New Mexico and Arizona, Utah, Idaho, and those areas, and they're good for nothing. And they cause a lot of havoc. So there's a roundup every year, and they go to the slaughterhouse. No longer any slaughterhouses in the United States, but there are in Mexico, and there are in France, and most of all the all the the, the horse meat goes to France. It's a delicacy in France. Or it can go to dog food. But here's my point. God put this in this verse to, to teach us something very significant. If we don't have vision, we perish. Now this is a universal law. Vision is universal law. That means it works for everybody. And it also hurts anybody that doesn't have it. Now look at this in the Amplified Version. I've asked him to put it up on the screen. And it's the AMPC. The AMPC means Amplified Classic. Uh, <clears throat> if you just get the modern Amplified, they've removed over 300 verses out of that Bible. So stick with the AMPC. 
Your NIV, your student Bibles, and all these modern translations, the NIV has removed over 400 verses. So be careful what you're studying. There, how many know there's, there's devils that want to keep you from learning the truth of the word? Amen. This is where there is no vision or no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. Now let's stop right there for a moment. Where there is no vision or redemptive revelation. And you look in the Hebrew and that's what it discusses or describes, redemptive revelation. Now clearly when the word vision is used, it's not talking about eyesight because we, we probably all know a person that has lost their eyesight and they don't perish, they don't die just because they may be blind. But if we're blind spiritually, we will perish. We will be destroyed. Amen. And that's what it's referring to. Where there is no redemptive revelation, and we'll get more in depth about this, but it says, he who keeps the law or keeps the word of God, which includes that of man, blessed, happy, fortunate, and enviable is he. In other words, this word keep means obey. Those who obey the word of God and the laws of man will be fortunate, blessed, happy. It makes sense. You know and I know lots of people that don't even know Jesus, but they're moral. They're good citizens. Not all of them, but many of them are. They're good citizens. They're hard workers. They're diligent. They obey the laws of the land. They're respectful. They're honorable people. And they're, they still go to hell if they don't hear the gospel, but they're still good moral people. So this is a universal law, this law of vision. When people have vision, redemptive revelation, understanding they have a purpose and a design. They have a direction to chase. They're understanding something that's extremely important for all of us to understand as believers. Even though they don't understand it, they just know it works. The unbeliever. And that is vision or redemptive revelation is a true spiritual, and alive organism. It's real. It's a force that God uses to bless mankind, to give mankind direction. Amen. It's designed by God. It originates from God. And all vision originates in a pure form. but the devil perverts it. The devil is not a creator. The Bible is clear about this. God is the creator of all things. The devil has never created or made one thing. He just takes what God has created and he perverts it, he pollutes it, and he corrupts it. That's very clear in the scriptures. There are hundreds of scriptures that identify that. He didn't make the Garden of Eden. He didn't make the earth, but he corrupted it. Come on. 
He corrupted it. He entered into it. He was cast down to the earth from the heavens when he rebelled against God. And a third of those angels, they were cast down to the earth for a, for a time or a season that only God knows what that, when that season ends. And then there is a time where they will be cast into the heart of the earth, the center of the earth, the bottomless pit, the fire that burns with fire and brimstone that God never ordained or designed for humanity. He only did it for the devil and all of his followers. Talking about this, the, the fallen angels, the demons. And it's important and significant for us to understand that God made all things good. Now I wanna prove this to you. How many of you have children or grandchildren? Most of the hands in this room. I have seven grandchildren now, just had our, our most recent uh, grandchild grand, uh, uh, two weeks ago in, in Tulsa, and we went up there for the birth, and, and uh, he's the first George boy. Our daughter has five, but she's not a George anymore, so our son, his last name is George. He had a daughter first uh, almost three years ago, and now he, he had the first George boy on, and, and in my family, so my immediate family. So healthy, whole, et cetera, et cetera. But I watched these grandchildren, and I watched, and, and I play with that little, that uh, almost three-year-old girl, and I've done this with all of our grandchildren. We, you know, we, you go to their house, and they grab you by the hand, and they want to take you to their bedroom and show you all their stuff. What stuff were they gonna show you? They're not gonna show you games and electronics. They're gonna show you what they built or what they made. Isn't that true? Yes. If a little girl's gonna be a house, it's gonna be dolls, it's gonna be organization, it's gonna be, it's gonna be dishes and, and you're gonna drink tea or milk or coffee or whatever. You're gonna eat something that, that, you know, is, that she sees or he sees, you know, that you don't see it, but they see it. What is that? That's a vision God gave them. Amen. It's not something they've just seen at home. It's a vision. God gives them that. With little boys, what are you gonna do? They're gonna take you out to the backyard and you're gonna play with dirt. Come on. Why? Because boys came from dirt. Tonight, many of you, you, you that have sons, you're gonna leave this building, you're gonna go to your car, and on the way to the car, your son's gonna pick up a rock, he's gonna pick up some grass, he's gonna pick up something from dirt. When you get home, he's probably gonna go the long way, the scenic route to the, to the door. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And if they have toys, it, it involves something Primarily outdoorsy, because that's what they came from. Now, it, sure, it, it morphs into to higher tech things later, but in the beginning, that's what it creates. But in those early years, you see God dealing with children, and when they learn to draw, they learn to write, what do they, they draw? They're making things, at first, they're undecipherable. You, you cannot decipher them, but they know exactly what they drew. They see it. And they'll tell you all about it. There's a long story that goes with it. <laughs> Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? They're creators. They're creators. 
Well, my Bible says in Genesis 1:26, and God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. You see, we're all created in the image and the likeness of God. Likeness means personality. All of us have been created God-like. No, we're not God, and I, none of you are God because I smell many of your breath, and, and, and I know you're not deity, so same thing with me. But we're created and formed in the image of God. And so we're not the creator, but we are creators. In other words, we are procreators. We create things, we design things. Our daughter, when she was a pre-adolescent, God gave her an idea for a Christian radio show at nine years old. And she wrote it all down and she had scripts and she had all kinds of processes and just, just volumes and volumes of papers at nine years old and into her teen years and she eventually produced it. See, God designs things and he creates things within us and it's called vision, purpose. And see, when we have purpose, we stay out of trouble. When we live with purpose, we stay out of trouble. And we become a moving target. It's a lot more difficult for the devil to hit a moving target with his fiery darts. But if we're just sitting at home and playing video games, or we're just on our phone all the time and we don't create anything, we're just become consumers of Asian kids' creations. Hello? To this day, I mean, all you gotta do is look in the National Spelling Bee. Very few American kids there, and as far as Caucasian kids, most of them are Asian kids. They're not North Americans or African Americans. They're not Indian American, Native, Native Americans. They're not, they're Asians. Why is that? Because the culture in Asia is diligent. That's why I believe they live longer. Come on. Now watch this. Watch this. This is important. Why is this so necessary? It's necessary for us to walk in what God has for us. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16 in your New Testament, Jesus was asking his disciples something very specific. And he said, we won't look at all the verses, but he said, In verse 13, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said unto them, verse 15, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, not surprisingly, answered first and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Look at verse 17. It says, and Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. What did he just say? Now look at this in the Amplified. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood men, that's what men are, flesh and blood, have not revealed this unto you. If you'll underline the word revealed or highlight the word revealed, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, my Father is the one who revealed this to you. Well, that would be the root word of revelation, wouldn't it? 
Revelation comes from reveal. What is revelation or what is reveal? Specifically, the word revelation means a picture of the future or vision. That's why it's used there in Proverbs 29, 18. So if we, as believers, understand that God communicates to us through visions, dreams, he said it in Joel, he said it again in Acts, that in the last days, I'm gonna pour out my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. God will show his people things to come through visions and dreams. That's only if we're paying attention. That's only if our eyes are open. Come on. If our eyes are closed to this, how, how do we have uh, closed eyes in the spirit? Well, it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that all of us with unveiled face, that means uncovered face. If we look into the word of God, we are changed or transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the spirit. Come on. It's a very well-known verse. It's necessary that we see with the eye of the Spirit. Our face has to be uncovered to see with the eye of the Spirit. What covers our face? What veil, what hides our face? Sin, disobedience, same thing. Fear. Here's a big one. Pride. Condemnation. Guilt. These are all things that the devil uses against the believer so we stay blinded to what God wants us to see. And we're the ones that must unveil and uncover our eyes. Amen. I'm the one that comes before God and submits my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He decided to be Savior, but I decide to make him my Lord. Did you get that? He doesn't dictate Lordship over me. That would be a dictator. I make him Lord willingly. I willingly offer my life My members as instruments of righteousness are some scriptures coming to mind here. Instead of yielding my members to unrighteousness. I've used this phrase with you before. God showed it to me about 15 years ago. He said, whatever we yield our field to will grow a crop in it. It's necessary that we yield our field to God and his word and his lordship. For when we do, we'll keep our eyes clear and our eyes open where he can reveal things to us by the Holy Ghost. Now I can prove this to you. We've all been in services where we saw tremendous things. God revealed things to us tremendously, but we sat right next to a person who was bored the whole service and went out disgruntled. Didn't get a thing out of that today. Why? Because their eyes were veiled. Veiled. 
pride, selfishness, fear, sin. Come on, could just go on and on and on. So let's stay out of those traps, amen? So Jesus said here to Peter and his disciples, and it's recorded for our benefit, that man didn't show you that I was the Christ, but my father revealed it to you. He's the one who revealed it, and he does it by the Holy Spirit. He uses the Holy Spirit. Look over at John chapter 16, the gospel of John chapter 16. And I'm winding down. I just want to build these verses in you that you already know. John chapter 16. This is one of those wonderful stories that Jesus uses. These are red letters that identify the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will show you things to come. Now, if you're using a device for your Bible or you have your device close with you, hold it up in the air. Hold it up in the air right now. Mine is is in my briefcase. All right, if you'll put it down. How many of those electronic devices that you held up or maybe yours is in the car or back home or whatever, how many of those electronic devices will show you things to come? How many of those will predict tomorrow? How many of them will show you something that's gonna happen five years down the road? 20 years down the road? Zero. But the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. This word show means reveal. He will reveal it. He'll give you a picture of things to come. A number of years ago, I was, our, our ministry was still in Tulsa and we, we traveled all over the United States, Canada, Mexico, been in other nations, but that particular time frame, we had at least about 15, a lot of times 20 interns that traveled with us. And uh, we only took 15 max at a time usually. Uh, we'd leave some at home just to bring on what's going on. Some we would send west, some we would send east, and then I'd fly out and we would host youth camps and VBSs and, and, and rallies and weekends and, and uh, seminars and those kinds of things. And I would fly out and meet them. And, and before that took place, because our first one started like uh, the Labor Day weekend, I was in a meeting in downtown Fort Worth and it was a church. They'd held these regular meetings every May, the early part of May, sometimes end of April, in their church. Uh, But that particular time, it was right after the tornado that hit a direct hit in downtown Fort Worth. And it hit their church and they had to evacuate because of asbestos. So they're meeting in the parking lot in a tent in May in Fort Worth, downtown near the Trinity River. Can you say humid? Can you say hot? It's on blacktop. Got one of these big white tents and we're meeting there and they had early morning prayer and that's when you wanted to go because it was cooler. So I I went early morning prayer 
And as I'm praying that day, and they had this red carpet laid out on this asphalt, and I went forward and I'm just kneeling and I'm on my face before God and I'm just praying and we'd already had a time of worship to get into the spirit of the day and, and, and I'd already had just a tremendous fellowship with God. But while I was laying on that carpet, I had my eyes closed and God was revealing things to me. Blind eyes opened. People coming out of wheelchairs. Miracles, signs and wonders. And everything that he showed me there on that carpet in a very unsatisfying environment where you're just sweating profusely, it's very uncomfortable. But I didn't care because I was caught up in the spirit Everything he revealed to me happened in the next 90 days. Totally by the Holy Ghost. Everything. Every one of those situations happened. I could go on in great detail about those things. But here's one, just a great manifestation. I saw a girl and she was, she was so crippled that she walked like this. She could just walk like this. And, and I, can't, I can't mimic it because she had acute scoliosis of the spine. Her spine looked like an S. And so she was only about four and a half feet tall when she was walking and she just had great pain. And when one of my interns prayed for her, now I saw this girl. I saw this girl in the spirit. But when one of my interns prayed for her in July in the state of Minnesota, she stood up straight and now she's five foot six. Amen. And as I lay there on that carpet on that miserable morning, weeping, I knew that God was showing me those things because we were going to see them. And here's the second thing I knew. Whenever God reveals something to you, there's always an anointing that will come to you. Because he's not just teasing you with vision. He's showing you things to come that he wants to manifest in your life. That could be marriage, that could be having children, that could be a job, that could be all kinds of things. Because God cares about every minute detail of your life. He made you. He just didn't make you spirit and that's all. He made you spirit, has a soul that lives in a body and he cares about all three parts. Amen. Amen. It's just like your vehicle sitting out in the parking lot right now. Whatever manufacturer you have, they wanted all four wheels to work. <laughs> or maybe motorcycle, maybe, maybe two wheels. Maybe for some of you, it was a unicycle, I don't know, but, but whoever made it, they want the whole thing to work, not just three out of four. God wants all parts of us to work. He just doesn't want us to be spiritual giants. He wants us to be strong physically. He wants us to be wise in our, in our, in our thought realm. Come on, somebody. He wants us to be successful in every area of our lives, but he's gonna reveal it by his spirit. If we're watching, if we're looking, 
if we're hungry. Now let's look at one more verse. Lots of verses that come to mind. We know what Habakkuk 2.2 says, write the vision, make it plain. So it's important to write, write the vision down. But look over at Genesis chapter 22 with me. Genesis chapter 22. Is this helping anybody yet? Genesis chapter 22. This is a long story that we, we won't go throughout the whole story, but this is a story of Abraham after Isaac was born. Remember God had convinced Abram and Sarai, communicated with them that you're the father of many nations. Remember Sarai laughed at him, thought it was a joke. She's not only beyond childbearing age, but even in childbearing age she was barren. He's almost 100, and God says, you're gonna be a dad. You're gonna be the father of many nations. And eventually, God had to show him something. Now, they laughed at God. They, they didn't believe God. It was, it was very difficult for God to convince them, so difficult that God stopped talking to Abram for 11 years. You and I don't have that kind of time. I'm not, gonna settle, I'm not gonna be settled for not to hear from God for 11 years. How about you? I need to hear from God every day. But God didn't talk to him for 11 years because he was closed. Sarah was closed. So finally God took him out in the desert. See all this sand? Lots of sand in the Middle East. So shall thy seed be. Went out there at night, see all these stars, and can you imagine with no artificial light? Think of what you can see. Yeah. If you've ever been out west where there's very little artificial light or none, man, you can see stuff. I've been in northern Canada where you can see the, I mean, not only the aurora borealis or the northern lights, they're not just in front of you, they're above you. You're so far north. They're all up there, and at night you can see millions and millions. Some people say you can, any given night, if you could see it, there's five, if you could count them, there's five billion stars that we can see. You have to take your shoes off to count all those. But that's what God had to do. God was giving Abram pictures. Pictures. I want you to get your mindset. What did God do with Gideon? God went into Gideon. Gideon was fearful. God said, you're, the, you're, you're a mighty man of valor. What did he do? He hid in fear, intimidation. That's what fear is. In fact, the amplified version of 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. The amplified says, God has not given us the spirit of timidity. When you're intimidated, you're in fear. Amen. Come on, somebody. And the devil uses intimidation to put us in a place where we can't be in faith because fear and faith are opposites. If we're in intimidation, if we're in fear, we're not in faith. Amen. And that's the only thing that pleases God. So here's Gideon, he's afraid. And he says, well, I'm the least in my family. And my family's the least in our village. And our village is the least in all the region and we have the least country of anywhere in the world. I mean, he was intimidated. 
He was scared and spitless. But God kept talking to him. No, you're a mighty man of valor. He not only sent a man of God, he sent an angel and then God himself. Now, you know what? You and I shouldn't have to have three visitations to hear from heaven. But what, what, what happens? People get stubborn. We get fearful. In other words, it took those three entities to help Gideon remove those veils. They didn't remove them. He had to do it. Abram didn't have God remove those veils. He had to do it. So finally, what did he do? He changed his name to Abraham, plural. From Sarai, singular, to Sarah, which means mother of a multitude. Come on, somebody. So here we are. It's time for a burnt offering. And God showed Abram, Abraham, excuse me, at this time, I want you to go to this mountain with your son Isaac to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains, which I will tell thee of, that's verse two. Offer him there, offer your son there. Offer your only son there. You know, a lot of people are misconstrued about tests and trials. It's always the enemy that's the trying of your faith that uses the trying of your faith. God already knows what your faith is. So God doesn't test your faith. God tests your obedience. Now watch this. Jump down if you would to verse six. Excuse me, verse five, it says, Abraham said unto his young men, or his servants, abide ye here with the ass or the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. He said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and we will come again. Why is that important? Because Abraham now knows how to walk by faith. And he knows he's gonna obey God and he knows God's gonna provide something where he won't have to sacrifice his own son. Now watch this. But he's willing to do it. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, to carry it, obviously. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father. Some say he was about 17 years old at the time. You know he'd seen many sacrifices. So he said, uh, my father, um, uh, here, here am I, my, my, my son. And he said, behold, uh, uh, we got the fire, uh, we got the wood, but dad, uh, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? I mean, he's doing the math. I got the wood on my back, you got the fire, you got a knife. Uh, uh, we need one more thing, a very important thing for sacrifices, Dad, and that would be a, a, a lamb for the offering. 
And notice this response. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. God will provide. Say that with me. God will provide. Let's say it again. God will provide. Now he doesn't provide for doubters. But clearly Abraham was not in doubt here. He was in faith. He was in obedience. Come on. Amen? Now watch this. And the day came, and they came to the place which God had told them, verse nine, and Abraham built an altar there, usually out of stones, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son. Now think about this. Here's this teenage boy and his dad is over 100 now. You know that he could have overcome his dad, but clearly he willingly allowed his father to bind him and to raise the knife to him. So not only was Abraham in faith, Isaac was also in faith. Isaac was also willing to obey God. You know, if we do what we're supposed to do as dads, primarily dads, that's where it starts, guys. It starts with us. God made the man first. And what did man do? He said, it's that woman thou gavest me. He tried to blame shift. He tried to make it Eve's problem in the garden. And what did she do? It's that serpent. It's that serpent's fault. And what did God do? God cursed the serpent. But the scriptures all through the Bible following that doesn't say because of Eve's sin and rebellion, but because of Adam's. Men, God still holds me and holds you accountable for your household. Thank you for your enthusiasm. God bless you. We'll see you next year. Hallelujah. I said, God holds us accountable for the spiritual condition of our household. And if we're doing our job, our sons will also obey God. They'll be obedient. Come on. Amen. Now that's a whole seminar in itself, but let's finish this. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, verse 10, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here am I. Abraham answered. And he said, lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and beheld him. Behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and he offered him up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah Jireh, or in Hebrew that means, that is, I'm the Lord. I am the Lord that will provide. 
I want you to see something here. First of all, Abraham was obedient. He did exactly what God instructed him in the early part of the chapter. Secondly, because of Abraham's obedient track record, his son was obedient. And thirdly, because of their obedience, God provided. Come on. But you see, Abraham was in faith from the beginning. What did he say? He said to his servants, me and the lad, we will return. He said to his son, God will provide a lamb. Come on. Instead of, man, I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't know how we're gonna make it. I just don't know what we're gonna do. We got too many whiny people today in the body of Christ. Why? Because their faith is in their own ability like was said earlier. Come on. Our faith needs to be in his ability. Our faith needs to be in his, his wisdom. Come on. Now watch this. I wind this down. Look at this. Jehovah Jireh means my provider. The Lord will provide. Provider comes from the root, the prefix pro, which means in Latin, for or ahead. Vider comes from the, the root word vision. God always brings provision to those who are obedient to him. God always sees ahead. So the word provision means ahead of the vision. God sees ahead. The word provision means God has something for the vision. That's why you look at these athletes, these movie stars, these entertainers, these big shot businessmen and women, they don't have their provision tied to a vision. And therefore, they consume it upon themselves and they cave in. They don't blow up, they cave in. Why? Because there's no structure. Vision gives you structure. Vision gives you backbone. Vision gives you wisdom. Vision enables you to build your house on the rock and when the storms come, and they will, the winds and the waves, you will stand strong in the midst of chaos and your family has a place to run to. He is our strong tower. He is our vision. He is our wisdom. So I challenge you tonight to make sure that you're seeking him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength because you and I need to build our house with his vision, his purpose. It says in Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It's important that we build with God's vision. He is the master builder. He's the one that has an overall vision for the home. He's the master builder. He's the master planner. He just doesn't throw up shanties all over the place. And when the storms come, it's such, a, it's, it's such chaos. Like I grew up in North Fort Worth, it's just such chaos that everything collapses. No, where God has, builds, the storms of life come to everybody, but hallelujah, they remain standing strong 
because they built their house on the rock. What is the rock? The revelation of God's word. The redemptive revelation of God. That's why we won't perish when we have vision. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such great wisdom in your word. Lord, you are always the smartest one in the room. You are always the one that supersedes our wisdom, our ability, our knowledge. But we must submit to that authority, that position, that wisdom. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.